At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And welcome to the new podcast that is Aliens Fireteam Elite. Everything that's Aliens Fireteam Elite is what we'll be talking about from now on. It is the new hot video game. And I hope it's the only thing we're going to talk about because it's the only thing I did this week. So I don't I hope you don't expect me to talk about anything else. And I'm here with someone else. I looked at some analytics. I looked at some data. Board games are a sucker's gambit. Video games are where it's at. Pick any video game. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter how many people play it. Talk about video games, you'll get 10 times the audience immediately. So yes, we are now officially the Aliens Fireteam Elite Podcast. Sweet. So on So Very Wrong About Games, we talk about board games. First, we're going to talk about the game we play, we reviewed exactly one year ago. Then we're going to talk about the games we played this week. And then some news and why it doesn't matter. And then the feature topic, which is those newfangled blinky light stuff. Or in normal speak, for people who do not, who are not fluent in old man, as Walker and I are, app assistance in board games. And I am here with my very good friend, Mark. Mark, how are you today? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm always good. I'm glad to hear it. So, the Aurus, the as-yet-unnamed retrospective intro segment. Last year, we reviewed Imperial slash Imperial 2030 by Matt Gertz. And it is a game that's in my collection, and it's a game that will stay in my collection because it's a fantastic game. They use this thing called a rondelle, Mark. I think you might have heard of it. I'm vaguely familiar with it. Matt Gertz is probably my second or third favorite designer of all time, depending on when you ask me. And Imperial 2030 is probably my third or fourth favorite game of all time, depending on when you ask me. The other third or fourth favorite game of all time is Antica 2. And I mention this specifically in the context of Imperial, not just because they both brilliantly use a rondel very differently in point of fact, it's that uh, although I adore Imperial 2030, and it d belongs in my top 10, and it will never leave my collection, very much like Michael Walker, I don't play it nearly as often, because it is an intense experience. It is not an everyday kind of game, I don't think. It's not one of those, you know, set aside a full day and play it once a year thing, either. It's, it, you know, it's a two-hour Euro game, but it's no luck, it's intense, it's very calculational, it's very brutal and unforgiving of mistakes in a very pleasing way, if you like those kinds of things. And yet relatively accommodating to new players since they don't know what's going on. That's fine. It's just when compared to Antica 2, which 
feels similar in some ways, although extremely different games, Antica 2 hits the table far more often. And thus, I admit with shame, over the course of the past year, I don't think I've played Imperial since we reviewed it. Which is unfortunate. I mean, it's one of the things that I think I should I should work myself up to more often. Because it's one of those things where it's like, oh, Imperial, that's super intense. And then five minutes into the game, I'm like, yes, I'm in it. It's true. I think it, one of the other barriers might be because it just introduces some things that are so new. Like the, you know, the the forces that constantly change hands and sort of the fiddliness of the of the shares you know exchanging back and forth and who has the most and it's just a lot of front-loaded stuff that's so different than everything else so i can see why sometimes it doesn't hit the table as much as others that is true i'm trying to track down the revised vision of the original imperial which has the 30 million dollar bonds because there were a number of innovations made for Imperial 2030 that were not present in the original Imperial, and I, some of them were backported, specifically the $30 million bonds into the original version, and I would very much like to be able to play with the original map and with the tighter financial rules, but with the slightly more liquid bond market. That is Imperial 2030, the game we reviewed exactly one year ago today. Walker, what'd you play last week? Last week, I played Yokohama. I've talked about Yokohama many times. This is designed by Hayashi Hatashi, and it's put out by the former Tasty Mitchell Games. <laughs> and I was lucky enough that a good friend got me the deluxified version. And I'm going to find new ways to bring the word no. deluxified into future podcasts. Can it we please let it die? And what I, what is great about this is that I've played Yokohama a lot this year because it's on Board Game Arena, but now I finally got to, you know, put out and put it on the table and actually just see the, it's just a great press board presence. These, all of these uh, commodities, the metal coins, it's just a, a really tight, interesting rule system. And I actually did what I was going to say. I said, I'm going to try a different strategy than I always do. I'm always, <laughs> you know, get the imports, you know, trade in the imports, get lots of points close the game down this was i'm actually going to get some of these technologies there's this whole deck of technologies that that so improve your actions uh it was very interesting to see them rotate through and not only do you get like uh improved actions but they also have uh the nation flags on them which leads to more victory points at the end so it's like a double-edged sword if you try all these different strategies i don't think that's what double-edged sword means walker I can make it. It's my podcast. I can make it whatever I want it to mean. Sorry. All right. And that was Yokohama. I should really play Yokohama again. I've only played it the once. It was a definitely a solid middleweight Euro game. I have a question, though. I actually posted a Twitter poll about this just today, about metal coins. Uh, and I think I already know the answer. You, Walker, have purchased specifically metal coins for games before, yes? One, yes. Multiple times. I just sometimes I, I got metal coins in the mail for my pledge of Empire of the Stars, and I did not specifically purchase the pledge level that I did for the metal coins. It was one of those things where, in order to get the fifth player faction in the solo mode, you had to get the deluxe version, and with the deluxe version came metal coins. And so I was, you know, playing around with metal coins and rebagging them, and I was just wondering how much money, and how much economic development, and how much how many resources have been accumulated just so gamers, some gamers, not all gamers, have like. 20 different sets of metal coins because I've never given anyone a penny for metal coins, no pun intended, but I can hardly claim to be some sort of Puritan or, or purist when it comes to board games. I spent a lot of money getting a lot of useless stuff in my hobby. So no judgment whatsoever. It's just not my particular bag. It's true. And, and, and 
it's a fairly new thing, you know, that since Kickstarter pretty well. There were, has been yes. some sets that had metal coins, but since Kickstarter, almost everything now is metal coins. I remember there was a reprint by uh, Eagle Games. They redid Conquest of the Empire, and they put in this fabulous giant plastic coins. And we had taken them out of there, and for almost every game for many years, we had used those coins for everything. I've always admired the discipline of people who buy one set of metal coins and use it for everything. Collating different boxes of things is not exactly where I am in the hobby, so people actually do that. I'm impressed. Look, I'm impressed by the quality of some coins. The coins in Yokohama are very nice. The coins in Scythe are very nice. The coins in all manner of, of different games are very pleasant. To my mind, the big turning point was in point of fact Scythe. Before Scythe, yes, games had add-on metal coins, but I think Scythe was the first major project that I remember that had a whole bunch of, you know, the quote-unquote realistic-looking resources in the coins, and you bought everything a la carte. And there were some people, like me, who just bought, you know, the game. And then there were some people like you who got everything. It's true. Interesting food for thought. I played a game called Vampire Queen. This is a card game by Wolfgang Kramer. Wolfgang Kramer is the venerable and esteemed Euro game designer who's mostly known for his collaborative projects. He co-designed El Grande. He co-designed the so-called Mask Trilogy, which is to say Tikal, Taurus, and Mexica. Uh, he's co-designed tons and tons and tons of different things. And this is a solo design of his, and it's a... It, it's awkwardly positioned. I was about to call it a filler, which is kind of true, but at the same time not. It's a climbing game, very much like those games where you try to shed off all your cards by playing one higher. The leader plays double sixes, and then someone follows with a double eights, and you keep going round until people can't play and pass and so forth. And you want to shed all your cards, and whoever has cards left at the end of the round gains points for those cards, and points are bad. The twist into Vampire Queen is twofold. Number one... It has some of the metrics of a trick-taking game. Normally in climbing games, you just keep going round and round and round until everyone passes in succession. But in Vampire Queen, you just go once around the table like, to, like a trick-taking game. Secondly, there are these Vampire Slayers. When you play a Vampire Slayer, everyone plays a single card in order. It can be any card you want, so there's no obligation to go higher. And whoever played the unique highest card, not lowest, takes all the cards that were played, Slayer included. And that is bad because you're trying to shed, shed your hand. And so... Unfortunately, these two elements don't work in conjunction to lead to trade-offs. As it is, you just want to shed your highest cards fast, because you don't want high-value cards at the end of the round, and you want low-value cards around anyway, because, number one, they're not penalizing you much for points at the end of the round, and number two, when a Vampire Slayer round happens, you'd love to have a one or two available to make sure you're not stuck with these large influxes of points. And so, it had interesting concepts, I just don't think they were firing on all cylinders. Also, the other problem is, and this is why I struggled to call it a filler, like many card games like this, and like many trick-taking games, it's kind of too long. You have to play multiple rounds in games like this, because the luck of the draw involved in a single hand can be huge. In Vampire Queen, you have a hand of 13 cards, and you could end up with, you know, the, the wilds, and a whole bunch of high-value cards, and... Uh, just some high-value cards that you can play out easy, and some low-value cards, nothing in the middle that's difficult to get rid of, and that might suck you with points, or you might up with a terrible hand. So, of course, you play in multiple hands. You play five rounds of this thing, five hands of 13 cards, so you end up playing it for about, you know, an hour. 
And the player count is very flexible, and that's nice. But the quality of decision-making isn't there. We kind of got it by the second or third round, and certainly by the end of the fourth round, the, the player positions were pretty much clear. Or indeed, if they were going to vary, they were only going to vary by a small amount of points. So it's got an awkward length, and I don't think the ideas really pay off in the way they want to. And as a final insult to injury, not that I dislike the experience, it just doesn't really anything I, I would recommend again, there's only one person of color in the card art, and they're represented as an absurd caricature of a voodoo practitioner. We've talked about the representations of voodoo before on this podcast. It seems to be an all-too-often trope. It is a legitimate religious practice, and even if it weren't, they don't deserve to be somebody's mascot or character in a card game. So Vampire Queen, I'm glad I tried it. It was kind of interesting. Wolfgang Kramer is of such talent that you're probably not going to uh, walk away with a useless experience, but didn't quite work for all the reasons I've, I've explained. Published by Schmidtspiel in 2016, that was Vampire Queen. Was one of the cards Marceline? Is this a reference? It is. I don't know Culture Walker. Some listeners might get it. Is it a reference to Macross? Was there a character named Mar- <laughs> Marceline in, in Macross? No, Mark, there was not. Is it later on in Avatar? Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, okay. We got to, I got to play Regicide again, and I'm only saying it because I don't want people to think that, you know, we just talked about it like Flash in the Pan. It is a fantastic <laughs> little... <laughs> a fantastic little card game that is great for filling. It's like we were just waiting for a person to show up, so we break out Regicide. We had a little bit of fiddly bits at the very end of the game, but other than that, another great session of Regicide. I think if we mention Regicide for another five weeks in a row, people might get the impression that we like it. Maybe. It's true. But it, it, it's it's good to constantly double down. Played Picomino Deluxe. Picomino is, was a dice game by Reiner Knizia, and if you're going to play a dice game... You could do a lot worse than playing a dice game by Reiner Knizia. And it's a very pressing subject. Uh, we deal with political themes here on So Very Wrong About Games. Picomino is about chickens who are barbecuing worms. So as you can see, redolent with political implications and historical import. And Picomino Deluxe adds a metal tin, uh, some special powers, and uh, a couple of other minor rules flourishes. I played Picomino a number of times, and I was happy to try Picomino Deluxe. It's got a great Knizia dice system that he's used a number of times in similar ways, where you roll a whole bunch of dice, pick any value that you obtained, and you set aside all dice showing that value. And you can keep re-rolling, but you're never allowed to set aside the same value more than once. And so as it goes on, it's got that great push-your-luck element that I love, where every roll gets more and more consequential. And you start narrowing down your options and figuring if you could push it for something better. And it's just just lovely. It's got a lovely little bit of player interaction in that you can steal other people's tiles, but again, you have to work for it. And I really enjoy Picomino. The deluxe elements were, I think, honestly, all told about neutral. They didn't take away anything from the game, but the amount that they added was not necessarily so huge that I would think it would be obviously worth the additional expense, time, and rules grit. Not that Pekamino ever becomes very complicated, but at the point where you've got five or six special powers floating around, people do need to start referring to what they do, as opposed to in Pekamino, where you just explain the rules and nobody ever has any questions ever again, because it's just so simple and straightforward. So I would happily play either version is the long and the short of it. I also enjoy Knizia's other very pressing game about chickens producing food, which was Sushi Zok im Gockelwok, which was presented as Sushi Bar in English, which is about chickens eating sushi. Now, the original German name, by the way, of Pekamino was Heckmeck im Bratwerkmeck. So one could understand why they decided to rename it as Pekamino. Anyway, 
<laughs> that is Picomino Deluxe. Zuckerberg put this out in 2018, and it is by the redoubtable Reiner Knizia. Speaking of Reiner Knizia, Reiner Knizia, I picked up Equinox, which is a reprint of Colosseum. This is put out by Plan B Games. The art is fantastic. It's these very wonderful woodland creatures. The same sort of style. You're creating these rows and you're sort of betting on them to see to the death how these cute woodland creatures will battle each other. Is that really the theme? Is this presented? Well, what else would it be? Is it a beauty contest? And I don't know. I didn't read the rules. It's it's very unclear. Okay. <laughs> but as you're playing cards, all of these creatures have special abilities, and you get to use these special abilities if you have the most invested interest in this particular creature, and you got to make sure that they're the highest in that round, because as soon as uh, one of all the creatures are played, then whoever has the lowest value, well, they're out of the tournament, and you go down to the next round, and there's five rounds, so at the end, there's only going to be three creatures left, and depending on how you placed your bets, that's how many points you're going to get, and I'm sure... Plenty of people have played Colosseum. It's this a Colossal Equinox. Arena, by the way, Walker. Sorry, Colossal Arena. Not Colosseum. Sorry, Colossal Arena. So many people have uh, played it, I'm sure, before. Great new edition. And there's some new news on. There's going to be a new edition coming out this fall. It's Equinox Risk, the Gollum Love Letter Tales Monop- Monopoly edition. <laughs> uh, it's going to be fantastic. What I love about Knizia card games is that you very frequently in the position where you wish to pass because playing is committing somewhere. And what this shows, I think, in many instances is Knizia's lovely grasp of tempo. Any, any Knizia card game usually has marvelous bits of tempo considerations. And in Colossal Arena or Equinox, I haven't played Equinox, but Colossal Arena is, is an old favorite of mine. You can play to any creature you want, whether they've had a card or not. And as you say, the round ends once every creature has one card in front of it, and there's a unique lowest. So there's one creature who could be losing the fight hardcore, but the fight isn't over until every creature has a card. So there's time to sneak in and completely change the fate of one of, well, monsters in my version, who knows what's going on in yours. Apparently it's a weird beauty pageant. I'm not sure. Maybe, oh, maybe we could retheme it around uh, some sort of reality show. We could we could make it like Project Runway or RuPaul's Drag Race. There we go. I want a RuPaul's Drag yes. Race retheme of Equinox. And so you can play on top of a creature who's already had a number, and what that does is it delays the end of the round, or you can sneak up and, and, and occupy places. And again, it's got that great element that we have in Imperial 2030, where there you can engage in proxy fights, monsters that nobody's bet on. Suddenly they're the ones that you're using to knock everybody else out. Great, clever little game. I love it. I'm glad it's been reprinted. It's interesting because it makes it makes player count really matter because if you're playing with a lot of players. You really have to take into consideration that you might not get a chance to play this round. So, you know, you either bet or get cards out because by the time it gets around to you, four other players are playing. And when there's only three spots left, that might fill up and you will not get a chance that round. So you got to take a chance or sometimes it's a very interesting dynamic. I only got to play a two player, so it didn't play out as much, but. I can see once we get to play it with more players, it will be much more interesting, I think. I know of some gamers who refuse to play with player counts and or monster setups that allow for the possibility of someone not playing the last round. And I can see why. I'm not that hardcore. It, it stinks to not have it to possibly not be able to play during the last consequential round. That is very unfortunate. But to me, it's not a deal breaker. I don't necessarily regard it as a positive, though. 
Yeah, well, like you said, that is another aspect. Too. There are more creatures in the game than you can use, so you're gonna. It's gonna be you know mixed up every time. And there's these chameleon cards that you get to play, and tree cards, and all sorts of interesting things that can go on. And that is Equinox by Reiner Knizia. Played a Rhino Hero double feature. So there's Rhino Hero and Rhino Hero Super Battle, both designed by Scott Frisco and Steven Strumpf. By the way, Frisco and Strumpf was my favorite 80s cop duo hour-long primetime drama. I thought their chemistry was amazing. I cried when NBC canceled that show after only four seasons. I thought it was great. But anyway, the duo Frisco and Strumpf have brought us two excellent dexterity games that are compatible with children. Uh, Rhino Hero is available in the normal size, or you can go all in for the giant version and pay large quantities of money for a truly epic quantity of Rhino Hero. The virtue that Super Battle has over Rhino Hero, as far as I'm concerned, is Rhino Hero, you're just building a single tower with very mild variations in how the walls are going to go, but it's basically just a single straight vertical stack of cards. And in Rhino Hero Super Battle, I was happy, there were five of us, and it was only after pulling out Super Battle that I realized it was only a four-player game. But I was in the situation where it's like, no, that's fine. I'll just explain the game and then watch, because I just want to see how this building evolves. I love watching that architectural nightmare take shape. And I'm a massive, massive fan of the table presence of Rhino Hero Super Battle. Part of me wishes there was a giant version, but I don't know that the giant version could fit in any reasonable room. We normally talk about table size in board games. I think that for Rhino Hero Super Battle, you might need to ha- if there were a giant version, you might need like vaulted ceilings. <laughs> Anyhow, excellent dexterity games. Both of them, however, share the same virtues and the same flaws. Very, very enjoyable. Very visually appealing. Lots of clever little plays where everyone's watching the, ta- the table wobble and being amazed that people can pull it off. Lovely little wooden figures that you then have to balance on top of various elements of the tower. Wonderful graphics throughout. But both of them, and this is a shortcoming, not a deal breaker, of course, because I keep pulling these games out. Competitive experiences, not so much. Rhino Hero is more more or less has the same competitive problems that Yuri or a Penguin has. You know, I play a card that says you draw some more cards. I play a card that says you skip a turn. And the winner of the game is the one who doesn't collapse the tower and has the fewest cards left. So not really under your control. Similarly, in Rhino Hero Super Battle, after you take your turn, you roll a die. And the die basically tell it, it, it's as though this is a gross oversimplification. But it's like after your turn, you roll a die and you get that many points. And whoever has the most points wins. It's more or less at that level. So yeah, you don't want to collapse the tower. That's fine. That part is competitively legitimate. So in a two-player game, you're fine. Uh, but in a multiplayer game, it's more or less who roll, rolls better. But you know what? That's okay. Big fan of dexterity games. Still waiting for that dexterity game that's, you know, a legitimate competitive experience. I'm hoping that Crash, uh, that Crash Octopus, completely irrationally, is going to be that experience. So keep it warm for me. I'll be ready for the Crash Octopus. No problem. It's waiting. And so that is Rhino Hero and Rhino Hero Super Battle. I guess they're all part of an extended hero universe. Must be. Everything's a huge franchise now. I'm, I'm sure there'll be a trilogy or something. Or a dark and gritty reboot. Maybe. Ooh. The, 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 <laughs> the Dark Rhino Returns. Release the Snyder Cut, Haba Games. All right. I played several games of Search for Planet X. We even streamed two of them on Saturday. It is a sort of puzzle, pure information type game where it uses actual sort of logic that they use in real life, like when pe- when they're when astronomers are astronomers astronomers astronomers. That's a new word. I've I just invented it. Astronomers. 
Yikes. Are you thinking of Astro Miners? <laughs> yes. So when they're looking for planets that they can't even see, they use stuff around it, like how stars, you know, warp their orbit or gas clouds, you know, asteroids, all sorts. So that's what you were doing in Planet X. There's some true information, like asteroids always come in pairs and glass clouds. Gas clouds are always next to an empty sector, and then you're using all this information while you're gaining clues and other things and doing these deductive reasoning to figure out where Planet X is, because the app will never actually tell you where it is. Even if you know where it is, you sort of just have to make a logical leap and say, I know what's to the left of it and what's to the right of it, and then it'll tell you whether or not you're correct. Love Search for Planet X. I just love that that type of puzzle game. This is put out by Foxtrot Games and Renegade, and it's designed by Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett. Finally for me, I played another couple games of Descent Legends in the Dark. Completely unrelatedly to the topic, of course, there was no connection whatsoever of my wanting to firm up my opinion of Descent Legends of the Dark and the fact that we're going to be talking about Apis games for today's topic. And the implication that there's some sort of connection between the two is clearly the product of a diseased conspiratorial mind. Exactly. If you think I played Search for Planet X, that's an app game, just because we're going to be talking about app games, then I think you're... I Perish think the thought. It's unfair. It's unfair, I mean, Mark, is what For it is. one thing, it implies that we do some sort of preparation for this podcast, exactly. which is obviously nonsense. At any rate, Descent Legend of the Dark, or Descent 3rd Edition, however you want to slice it, is by Kara Santel Dunk and Nathan I. Hayek, put up by Fantasy Flight, which um, I guess is a game company? I'm not sure. I, I always look behind them, and it's like, like, is, does Asmodee still have the knife in the back? Yeah, oh, they're <laughs> twisting it now. Oh, oh, that's bad. Okay, well, they're still alive. They're screaming still, so we're still good. Just for a little peek behind the veil about what it's like to be in the board game media sphere, listeners. And this is not about us bragging about having inside knowledge. This is just being about on mailing lists, and any idiot can get onto a mailing list. I should know. I am that idiot. We get emails all the time from Asmodee Marketing telling us about these new novel series they're making, about new houseware lines. Basically, they want to be a lifestyle brand. Every company secretly, I think, deep in their heart of hearts, wants to be a lifestyle brand, which is why Swag will be releasing its own line of fragrances later on this year. Anyway, they basically clearly are just mining Fantasy Flight for all its quote-unquote intellectual property, some of which is Legends of the Five Rings, which they had nothing to do with in terms of creating. Some of it is Arkham Horror, which is, you know, again, they didn't have a whole lot to do with. And then, of course, there's Terranoth. Interestingly, they haven't tried to merchandise Terranoth nearly to the same extent. I wonder why. Anyway, so Descent Legends of the Dark is truly ambitious, and I, I have to give credit for all the things that it does well. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago in context of how materially it's a triumph. You pay a lot of money, it's a very expensive product. But you can really see where it went, and everything has been cleverly engineered. The table presence is marvelous. The terrain just set up on any given scenario. It's not one of those games where you have a massive terrain piece that almost never gets played, and so most of the time you're just playing on flat tokens, and then in the last boss fight, you then have this impressive 3D piece. No, 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 no. Every scenario looks really cool. Now, it's the same set of terrain, repurposed and repackaged, but that's what you want out of a scenario-driven terrain game like this. And the miniatures are amazing. This is another leap forward ahead of quality of miniatures production. And everything is really, really carefully thought out and very carefully conceived. And the writing may remains good. 
you know, serviceable. I'm a little less interested in the characters now. I commented in the immediate aftermath of my first few scenarios that I thought the characters were really interesting, and I wanted to see what happened to them. Well, unfortunately, as I, I got to learn a little bit more about them, and I got to see how they were being used in the campaign, there's a little bit too much generic fantasy tropiness just being shoveled in, and so I've lost a little bit of interest in what's going on. Even though they involve a very clever gameplay element called feats, which is basically... Very much like a video game, you accomplish certain feats and then you're going to get certain bennies. In practice, it turns out to be a supersized version of Gloomhaven's battle goals. Do these arbitrary tasks and you'll in a fight and you'll be rewarded with goodies. So it ends up feeling a little bit like a chore as far as I'm concerned. Ultimately for me, despite how impressed I am with a lot of the elements... The thing that lets me down and me- means that I don't think I'm going to go back to Descent Legends of the Dark is I have seen combat systems done so in so much more compelling ways. And this week, actually, I made an appointment to play with a, a local Hellboy. And I remember the things that Hellboy did with its activation system and all the things that it did with scenarios without any app assistance whatsoever. And I look at Descent and I can't help but feel that Descent is a step back in a lot of ways. You move, you attack twice. You attack, you move, you attack, you you move, you interact, you ping a thing to get a token towards the uh, victory condition, you attack something. It's just, ultimately, it's the same old move and attack thing that we've been doing for a very, very long time. The kind of thing that Gloomhaven borderline revolutionized. The thing that other games do so much more interestingly. I've talked about these games a lot. I uh, I won't repeat myself in full detail. So ultimately, the surrounding package is great. If you are not sick to death of bone standard dungeon crawling mechanisms, then Descent Legends of the Dark is apt to be somewhat revelatory for you. Because if you don't care about gameplay interactions in that context. You care more about gameplay interactions in terms of broader things like scenario structure and character achievements and things like that. Then Descent Legends of the Dark is absolutely for you, and I recommend giving it a shot with the strongest possible terms. But I just don't feel that the core gameplay loop is is giving me what I want. There is a gameplay element that I haven't talked about before. You have all these cards... Whether they're your character card, your weapon card, or your skill cards, and they all have two, they're all double sided. They have different effects on each side and different fatigue thresholds on both sides. The way the game manages fatigue is borderline interesting because whenever you gain fatigue to trigger something, it can go on any of your cards. And whenever a card flips, then all the tokens that were on that side of the card go away. So it's a way of wiping all the fatigue gone and it will change the effect and possibly the fatigue threshold. The problem that I have with this, and one of the reasons why I don't feel like this really gets to its full potential is, I would want, in a game with a system like this, the opportunity to flip my cards a lot. I want lots of little add-on effects that allow me to flip cards or manipulate cards or do this, that, and the other. The problem is that to flip a card is an action. So imagine you're in a situation where you're in a fight. Or you desperately need to get to the other side of the map. Or whatever you have. Because, of course, action limitations are usually par for the course in games of this ilk. I could either spend an action to flip my card, and then next turn I'll be able to attack slightly better, or I could just uh, spend the action to attack. And in my experience so far, maybe I am the worst Descent Legends of the Dark player ever. Maybe I'm just missing something. But in my experience, it is not worth the action setting yourself up. 
Sometimes the system does really clever things. I, I can think for a specific example, the thief character has a very powerful side on their character that says you get to do this awesome thing and then this card automatically flips. And so there are these cycles of going back and forth of triggering this powerful ability and it is worth prepping for and it is worth calculating for and worth considering your turns. If all the characters worked like that, I'd be much more in favor. If effects like that happen more often, I'd be very much in favor. If I could spend an action and flip two cards, for example, on the reg, I'd be more in favor. So again, I don't feel that Descent Legends of the Dark is playing to its strengths in terms of solid gameplay choices. In terms of everything else, it's really quite impressive. And so I applaud its ambition. I hope it's successful for its ambition. And I very much enjoyed the time that I've played with it. I've now played five times, which is a non-trivial amount of times for a dungeon crawler. Absolutely. But the last two times I was kind of pushing it. I was kind of dragging for a lot of it. It's like, okay... Move, attack twice, move, attack twice, move, interact, attack. It was just the, the same old stuff going through the motions and seeing where the app took me. More, of course, on that later. So those are my, possibly my final thoughts on Descent, Legends in the Dark. And lastly for me is Beyond the Sun. Just doesn't fail to please the fact that it's a different game every time. It's like we I talk a lot about enjoying these games because you can try a different strategy or you can do work on a different part of the game. This one, you do not get that option because the cards are going to be totally different. You have to be able to change up what you're doing on the fly as you see these different technologies come up. Not only that, the goals you know sort of change up a little bit. I wish they had more goals. There's so few there. It's it's only one or two that change up. But anyway, the fact is that they do change. But just sort of trying to manipulate the system as it evolves out and seeing it's like, oh, that card's out now first before the other cards this time. And it's like, okay, well, now I can, you know, try something different that way. And the fact that you have to do it as you're playing, I really enjoy. And this is Beyond the Sun. It's a great, you know, it's also the it's also trying to make sure you have this constant flow of people and ore, right? It's something you have to manage and something that it's, it's a constant battle. They did a great job of just balancing that on like the thin line where you just never have enough. I agree with you. I think that in terms, this is something that we stressed in the context of our full review. I think the way Beyond the Sun manages scarcity is borderline perfect because you have to work and be careful about where your next people or or are going to come from, but you never feel like you're deprived of being able to do anything by virtue of that scarcity, unless you build yourself into a corner. It can happen, of course. But the fact that you produce every turn, but there are constraints on your production, is a wonderful balancing act. And those are the games we played this week. Now, on to the news and why it doesn't matter. So here at Silver Rung About Games, we're very happy to announce that on an upcoming Twitch stream, we're going to be doing a fundraiser and raising money for the National Food Bank. We're going to be playing Regicide, and we're going to be giving away copies of Regicide. This is all from Badgers from Mars. We're going to be playing the games on Tabletop Simulator. We're, all going to, we're also going to have a bunch of guests dropping in to play with us. And this is all going down. Mark your calendar, Mark. October 2nd, 2021, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So Saturday, October 2nd at 3 p.m. Eastern. We will have more information to follow, but we are very much looking forward to this. And then almost as exciting, Mark, the maker of Your Your Penguin, has sent something very, very exciting. Yes. He is going to be putting out a Kickstarter for Your Your Penguin Mini Edition. Now, you were talking about <laughs> Super Rhino Hero being super big and huge, but can you imagine a little miniature Your Your Penguin set that fits in your pocket? 
I am so excited. It's going to be amazing. I'm a little disappointed that that's what it is, but I am, of course, looking forward to this author's future output a great deal. Other thing quickly, we have a guild on Board Game Geek we've talked about many times. I just wanted to like, just say again that we just want to try to keep the discussion, the discussion all in one place. You know, a lot of people have discords and Facebook groups, and this is why we've just not had any of those things. We've tried to focus all of our stuff on the guild. So if you want some interesting discussion about what, what we talk about and board games, it's all happening there. Board Game Guild number 3236. I keep telling you, Walker, people are going to comment where they want to comment. We can't corral them as though they're sheep. Well, they can't comment on our Discord if we don't have one. We do, but it's super secret. Do you corral sheep? You know about you know about this. You you only corral cows, right? You herd sheep. You don't corral. You herd okay. sheep. Okay. I would like to apologize to all of our sheep listeners. <laughs> I talked about a game called Sushi Boat back in December of 2020. They gave us some the stills of it, but now it is now it's been announced it'll be coming to Kickstarter very soon. They've spruced it all up. They have all sorts of crazy, interesting looking images. So if you want a semi dexterity sushi game, check it out. It's called Sushi Boat. Mark, there's been a huge Kickstarter. I've talked about it many times. It is uh, Avatar, the role playing game, <laughs> and I'm not sure if Renegade games thinks they can cash in on this but they've decided that they're going to do a gi joe role-playing game i I don't know what the demand is for a gi joe role-playing game i i don't remember there being too much character development in that cartoon (laughs) okay well look but i could make some dismissive comments now about how lots of role-playing don't doesn't have a whole lot of character development other than well first i kicked down the door to murder everybody with a plus two now i kicked down the door to murder everyone with a plus seven character growth. But in terms of trying to get in on monetizing nostalgia, I don't think you can blame any recent publisher act as having started this trend. So, cool many or not, as we call them Simon, as everyone else calls them come on, but we will continue to call them Simon. please send your complaints to support at ourcanada.ca, has decided in their goal to become a lifestyle brand or something, they're going to get into the non-fungible token business. This was uh, an idea first floated by Van Ryder Games, and there was an immediate fan backlash. And then they said, look, we're very sorry, but we're still going to do it. And now Simon is getting in on the business. So for those of you that are unfamiliar with non-fungible tokens, uh, I'm not really that familiar with them either. But basically what I can imagine is what you do is you download an image file. You say it belongs to you, even though everyone else gets to access it. And then... You just burn down a tree. That's the equivalent, I guess, of what an NFT is. Or maybe just burn a pile of coal for a whole long time. Essentially, it's bragging rights at the expense of massive energy consumption. Instead of mining Bitcoin, you could devote the same amount of energy resources to just say that you own a YouTube video that everyone gets to watch. And now it could just be a picture of your favorite Zombicide character? Look. I I thought... We, I thought they stopped this already. I thought it was already like a well-known, sort of like, you know, wearing fur or clubbing seals. It's like, okay, <laughs> we now understand that it is bad. We're sorry. We won't do it again. And and make no mistake, of of all the people that I know, we are the most pro-Simon of anybody, I think. Like, we're not fanboys or anything like that. We appreciate a lot of their products. Nine times out of ten, when they get flack, I think it's undeserved. 
you know, we, we, we bitch and moan about how our copy of Ankh is still on the water, but quite frankly, it's been a shipping disaster everywhere around the world. And the fact that so many backers got Ankh only about three to four months late is a minor miracle. So whatever. I, I we, we defend Simon all the time. This is just dumb. I don't understand the appeal of this. Parenthetically, this leads me to our next news item. Swag NFTs, send us a million dollars and we'll just say that an episode belongs to you. We'll take care of the environmental impact. Don't worry. Yeah, we were on it. I think I burned two trees before we started today. I think we're good. Oh, good. Lastly for me, we do a Twitch stream every Saturday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We talked about Equinox earlier in the games we played. We're going to be playing that this Saturday and others. Come and join us for Equinox. And that is the news and why it doesn't matter. Now on to the topic of the week, which is apps, apps and games, and how awesome are they? Could I start by saying something else, actually? There are these people on my lawn, Walker, and I want them to get off my lawn. Damn kids. I know. With their hippity hop music. Hippity, hippity in their blinkity blink lights. All right, let me start by saying... That in truth, there is only one mandatory app that is crucial to your board game enjoyment, and that is your podcast interface app. <laughs> yes, we, we are pro only one form of technology. <laughs> and that is your podcast player of choice. All other apps may be safely deleted from your life. <laughs> so I broke this down into four parts mark and the fourth one we will not be talking about the first one which is well <laughs> wait, you'll, wait, see, wait. you'll see you'll see I'm, you'll see why in a minute i'm just saying i'm confused first one is just is helper apps the second yes. the second one is side or assistant apps and three is integral apps and fourth is full game apps and i don't think we have ah. planned or even or we're going to talk about any full games apps they are what they are so could you give me an example of the kind of thing you're talking about? Like for full game apps? Oh, you mean a digital adaptation of a board game? Yeah, like a complete yes. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've, t- we've talked about those before in other contexts. So I'm, I'm perfectly happy to accept your uh, division of labor. I'm somewhat right. curious, though, as to what your distinction is between the first category and the second category. But with that in mind, let us begin with the first category. All right. The first category is helpers. And there are a lot of third-party apps in here. So we have timers, scorekeepers... First person player choosers, randomizers for cards, stuff like that. These to me are not all equal, actually. I'm not suggesting that they belong in different categories, but uh, this was an opportunity for me to once again evaluate why I think some things work and some things don't, what I want out of an experience and what other people might want out of it. And I'm trying very hard, uh, longtime listeners of the show will appreciate this, that this does not come easy to me, to be broad-minded and accept that many people like things that I don't like. You know, just in the same way that NFTs don't make any sense to me, someone might derive a tremendous pride of ownership over a digital piece of art or or culture that can be downloaded by a million people in very much the same way that I have a certain degree of pride of ownership over my game collection, even if some of those games I don't play very often, If even if some of them I will never play again. Fine. I'm trying very hard. So, But there are some things that I, 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 I don't understand, and that is... <laughs> Scoring pads and scoring apps. Certainly some scoring apps, especially. And I just want to pick one in, in particular 
or at least a couple, like Fantasy Realms or Imperium. Say you're playing one of those games, right? Scoring-heavy games where the scoring can be a little bit laborious, absolutely. But the time involved of just having to go through and input everything, and it's not just me. I'm a little bit clumsy with technology, I'll fully admit, but I've seen how other people who are more adept at technology use them. It takes them forever to input all this nonsense. It doesn't save you any time. I have to assume it's just because they don't want to go through the mental effort of collating and adding, you know, 12 and 17 and 13 again together. Is, is, what, am I, what am I missing? Sell me on these things, Walker. No, it, I, I'm 100% in those particular cases. That, that is definitely, it's going to come up in the side assistant, these dedicated uh-huh. scoring apps. The scoring apps I'm talking about are just things that list literally keep track of score for any game. Ah, okay. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, and... Uh, there are some there are some that are game specific that effectively have this function. I guess I'll discuss those when we get to the se- second topic. But yeah, like what what's the name of that app that you always use to pick a first player? Choosy. Ah, yes, Choosy. Choosy is very popular. I usually have a pen nearby, and I just make the joke about the omniscient pen, and I just spin the pen. People tend to object object to that because they like Choosy so much. But honestly, I think I think Choosy versus the Omniscient Pen, in many ways, I think encapsulates my objection to a lot of these app experiences. If I have a pen in my pocket, or if it's right nearby in my purse, yes, I carry a purse, deal with it. All all I do is I just spin it over the table, or indeed some other component if it's if it's handily available, or if there are score tokens, I just shake them up in my fist and we 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 lose one. There was that one in Pax Viking, which was called someone's auntie's method. You just take components from each player color, and you toss them, and whichever one goes furthest is the star player. Take your pick. These take literally about five seconds. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating here. Literally five seconds. Choosy, on the other hand, it takes five seconds to take out the phone, five seconds to find the app, and then you put it down there, and then you get everyone's figure out. It's, it, it, it's significantly longer. It, it has sound effects, Mark. I know. And what, lights. So, yeah, Blinky I, blinkies. I, <laughs> I don't. I have been playing video games and interfacing with technology nearly my entire life. I, I, I remember playing with calculators when I was like three or four years old and finding it the coolest thing ever. I didn't think that I was a super analog person. And yet here we are with me preferring the, the omniscient pen over, over choosy. Speaking of the pen, we, we've been using the knife a lot because the knife has been being used to set up technology. So there's always a butter knife sitting right on the table. So it has been being spun for all of our, our, our games lately. The knife okay. chooses all. I, I was afraid that was going to go somewhere very different when you started talking <laughs> about the knife choosing people, Walker. Because <laughs> I just want to warn you, I'm not a lawyer and this is not a legal advice podcast, but the knife chose it does not constitute a defense for assault. <laughs> Damn it. All right. So that is the category of helpers. So next up are side assistant apps. So for here, I have things that control a solo player or a soul or a storyteller, like in a uh, one night ultimate werewolf where it like talks you through the steps, uh, something that helps you with the paperwork, like in Gloomhaven, something that mm-hmm. sort of, you know, takes part of the game and does all that paperwork for you. There is, uh, the, uh, sometimes it's a keeper of secret information, like in the alchemist, there is a awful way that you can do this manually, like do the puzzle manually. Okay. Uh, but the app takes care of that for you. If you have it, this is also, a lot of these are also third party, uh, applications. And then like you, we've already talked about, there's some dedicated scorekeepers and 
I, like you, don't think any of them save time. I really like the concept of that one. I'd like to really see it in in action, the one for... Uh, the one the, for Imperium it, where you take a picture yeah, of your tableau? Yeah, you take a picture of yeah. the tableau and it adds everything for you. The I hear that the Agricola one is not too terrible either. And then there's some dedicated timers as well. Like there's one for Project Elite that is has some interesting sound effects. Same as the one for uh, Meeple Circus, you know, plays the circus music and has <laughs> like the clapping and the cheering while you're playing. Uh, while I was doing research, there's a really interesting one for Clank in Space. Is there? Yeah, there's an app that will uh, assist you in the setup. And based on what how it told you to set up, it will insert sort of like a mini boss into the game for when you get some certain objectives that it told you to put in the game. So when you trigger those, the mini boss will show up. I don't know. Like I said, I haven't played with it, so I don't know huh. exactly what it works. But that's how the description read. You know, it will help you set up and insert a mini boss based on the objectives. So that sounded cool. And certain apps that turn a one uh, VR game into a full co-op game because it will take over the role of the the one. Right. So that is how I defined side assistant apps. So we're, given that we're both, I think, roughly equally skeptical of such things, you've mentioned already Project Elite and Meeple Circus, and those, I think, there are just, those are just timers with sound effects, just slightly more thematic integration, just a little bit of ambient noise to make you feel like you're a little bit more in the experience. Are there any other assistant, side assistant apps that you'd like to point out as ones that you use? No, that's pretty well it. The the one for Meeple Circus hmm. is a little bit better because it has some the like the crescendos to sort of signify the end of your time is coming. So it's it does have a little bit of that's useful true. sound effects. But other than that, and I guess I've never played, I nor would I want to. Should I even talk? I don't. The ultimate werewolf one seems kind of interesting because then you don't have to have that. You'll, it'll take care of the cadence for you, and you won't have yep. that one person that has to do it all the time. So uh, I don't think it still would be terrible game, but. You know, at least <laughs> I, could, I could see where it would be a problem and how this would fix it. The thing with the one night games, all of them, uh, that is a the, they didn't immediately come to me because like you, I have no interest in playing them. But that strikes me as an instance where a helper would be very, very handy because those games live or die based on the profusion of different special roles that are in play. And they all have to trigger at very specific times. And the possibility of making a mistake looms ever more prominently with the more roles you add. So if you want to play a game with lots of wild different effects and make sure you don't have to worry about a redeal, because I mean, if the game's going to take five minutes, a redeal could be a significant proportion of that period. So there, I think there's a reason why I think most people use the helper app to set up the one night games. Yeah. It'll, it'll remind you of those little things that you might forget. And same with what I'm going to talk about later on the, the destiny's app, like when it says, you know, it comes up with a little sound effect is now your turn. You know, the very first thing it says, don't forget to refresh your die. And, you know, these, these little things that you might forget, sometimes these apps will help you with. Yeah, so that's where we start getting into nebulous territory for me. Yes, there are lots of things that computer and automation can help you with, like reminding you about the phases of a turn. Just in the same way that if you have to click through, effectively clicking through a player aid, right? If you've got a card in front of you that lists all the phases of the game you are more likely to forget about a, a phase near the beginning or the end or some sort of upkeep thing than you would than if you had to click through on an app. I would still rather have the card, though, because fundamentally for me, and we're, we're getting into this now, is 
I associate screen time with not socializing with those around me, partially because of the division of attention. And, and this, again, ultimately is what kills it for me for Descent Legends of the Dark. I can't focus on the lovely terrain that's in front of me and all those beautiful miniatures and the cards and the dice because my attention is constantly flipping back and forth between the stuff that I'm manipulating physically and the stuff that I have to manipulate digitally. Click through this, build this piece of terrain. Click through this, build this piece of terrain. It feels like I'm constantly switching gears. It actually makes me mentally tired. And it also makes me feel like I'm not interacting with people around me. The goal of computer assistance is to make our lives easier. But to my mind, if I have to click through something, that is increasing the burden for me, both socially and mentally. And so it ultimately becomes self-defeating. And that's why I find most of these so-called assistant apps ultimately a waste of my time. Very much like, you know, the difference between uh, a game of Imperium where I have to input manually a dozen different cards that I purchased versus a game of Imperium where I just have to take a picture of the cards and the app does the rest. One of those I'm in favor of, the other, the other one I'll pass. Again, not judging anyone who makes use of them. I just want to mention, though, before going on, there is a, uh, a game where I play almost always with an app, and it's very much of the same Meeple Circus area, and that's Space Alert. We both adore Space Alert, one of our favorite co-op games, and the there are a variety of Space Alert app, apps that have basically either recorded the pre-made apps. Remember when Space Alert first launched? Back in the day, it came with a CD, and yeah, you put why, the CD why... in your CD player? Yeah, sorry, I, th- I threw it into the integral into the integral because you really cannot oh. play it without without the app, right? It's one of the games Fair. where I've also played apps that then remix and create novel tracks based yes. on some sort of algorithmic calculation about what a track should look like, and they've been some of them have been fine. Not that I have any problem with the the base tracks; they're fine. It's not like oh, I remember now a serious internal threat's going to come zone white because I remember this track. No, that's not that's not yeah. plausible. At least for me, I don't have that. Level and there's of memory. there's a Star Trek theme one too that is quite enjoyable as well. Oh yes, I've seen that. Uh, the, for me, there I got a little bit of, of of thematic dissonance between the really cool Star Star Trek sound effects and the comic absurd nature of the actual game, and so it wasn't really didn't really work for me in in, in that sense. Before we move on, Imperial Assault, like I said, when it when it came out, it had a whole one one person had to play the bad guy and this. And I, I think all their games now, they've just taken out the bad guy completely. I'm not sure, as the new Descent, can someone play the bad guy, or is it only co It's only co-op. So, there you go. And in those particular cases, I thought it was great, because, you know, it always felt bad sometimes if, if the whole group was doing well. It's It almost gave you the feeling that you were picking on that one person, you were, and they were not <laughs> enjoying it, right? Right. And sometimes when they were doing well, it's like, okay, well, now I'm making the game crazy crappy for four other people so I can win, right? So it's really was just like a lose-lose situation. I agree. One of the all games are really hard to do well in terms of social dynamics if, if in terms of nothing else. And mechanically, outside of level 7 Omega Protocol, I've never found a an overlord-type role to be remotely as satisfying as playing as a normal player. So, yes, I think in, in Descent 2nd Edition, as well as in Imperial Assault, uh, the app is definitely a step forward. 
So just to draw a distinction between solo mode helper apps that I enjoy and ones that I don't, because I again, I think this is the difference between Descent 2nd Edition and Descent 3rd Edition. Not that I'm a huge fan of Descent 2nd Edition. I think it's as mechanically rote and uninspired as Descent 3rd Edition. But in terms of app integration, I don't feel the same kind of pull as I do in Descent 3rd Edition. And that is to contrast the Mage Knight solo mode, although quite frankly, Mage Knight solo is very much like every other game solo, and uh, other solo modes like the one that I tried once for Undaunted. We're both big fans of Undaunted by Trevor Benjamin and David Thompson. But in Mage Knight, all that you're doing is you're automating uh, some card flips just to basically run a clock. That's how the solo mode works in Mage Knight. You don't have to tell it anything other than tell us the color of a card, and it'll just tell you how many turns you have effectively. So just, you take your turn, you click once, you take your turn, you click once, that's it. And there's no information that needs to be managed. It's not a closed or complete input-output cycle. It's just running something in the background. As contrasted with Undaunted, Undaunted has a solo mode that, that fans have made, but in order for it to work, you have to input all your moves into the app. You have to tell it everything you're doing, rather than just saying, I've taken my turn, here are the results. Which, of course, makes sense. It's, it's the nature of the game. I'm not blaming the, the, the people who adapted it. Similarly, there's a similar jump between what's happening in Descent 2nd and Descent 3rd. In Descent 2nd, it would tell you what the monsters did, and all it wanted to know was when have you killed the monster, just in terms of the monster behavior. You would just tell it when it was dead. That's it. In Descent 3rd, every attack against every monster is tracked. And so it makes this kind of closed input-output loop where everything you do, you have to report back to the, to the machine. And that is just a step too far that, for me, drags me out of the analog cardboard experience and divides my attention in a way that I find socially and mentally unpleasant. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up later on. Like, do these games... Do these apps pull you out of the game or do they, because of the atmosphere or the sound effects or the music, do they enhance that particular, you know, feeling? And I think more times than not, it pulls you out. I agree. For me, what puts me in the experience most often is my interactions with the other players. You know, the kinds of stories that you and I and Huey and Louie are always talking about, how why is this thing working the way that it is, whether it's whether it's joking or whether it's buying into the theme, that's what brings me into the experience, this collective social narrative, which is what board games basically are. They're basically collective social narratives. And once you once everyone's attention starts becoming fixated on an app, I really feel that that starts trying to pull the lift of that narrative storytelling, and I feel often doesn't substitute for the kind of quality that we're able to, to give to that, because, you know, you're just hanging out with friends. You're going to find the stuff that you and your friends do more, more compelling than even the works of great writers very often. There's one other companion app that I just want to flag, and that's for Gloomhaven. And again, this, this, this indicates the extent to which you and I are somewhat more skeptical with companion apps, because we use Gloomy Companion, or at least we did when we played uh, Gloomhaven together, all that it does, or at least all that we used it for, it may have been updated in, in, since, was it just parsed the monster AI cards. So all that it did was it, it took care of the monster AI decks. You would click on the deck and it would just tell you what the next card was. And instead of the card saying move plus one, attack minus one, and then you look at that card, cross-reference it with the monster card, and then figure out the results, Gloomy Companion just cuts out the that, that mental arithmetic over and over. And so instead of move plus one, attack minus one, it'll say move four, attack two. And so it's just easier, 
purely saving you the time of doing that mental arithmetic. It's not even so much getting rid of the decks. I mean, getting rid of the decks is a side benefit, not having to shuffle an eight-card deck and, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it was adding the it was adding all the the curses and the bonuses as well. That was very handy. Well, it didn't really do that. Like 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 things like poison or weakness. It wouldn't no, resolve no, not those. those. I meant the, I meant the other the cards that made them miss. You know, like all the all uh, the yes. curses that you could put into their deck. Yeah, you could manage that, but. Again, that, even just managing the monster hit deck was, again, a, th- a thing that it did that I didn't really feel was necessary. I mean, I was happy to use it. But there are a lot of people who refuse to play Gloomhaven without, again, this massive input-output cycles where you tell it every card you play. And so then the app tracks initiative for you. And then the app tells you, you know, it pings you when it's your turn. And it manages your hit deck. and it, that, But then it needs to know all of your feats. And then it needs to know all the modifiers and all your cards. That is just way too much for me. I want to play with the actual components. I just don't want to have to do the do the math 57 times. Now, just as a minor corollary, and I never lose the opportunity to point out, it is possible that with a different group, I wouldn't even feel the need for Gloomy Companion. It's just that when we were playing Gloomhaven, this was mostly my fault, I ended up doing all of the calculations. Everyone was asking me, what is this monster doing? How far is it moving? And so I was the one personally who always had to do the math. Maybe in a different group, I wouldn't even feel the need for Gloomy Companion, but I like having it around. So now on to the full app games where you cannot play it unless you have the app. So this is games like XCOM, Destiny, Search for Planet X, Descent 3rd Edition, Vienna Connection, almost all of the, the like, unlock, exit, all of the escape room games must have it. And, uh, like, uh, Space Alert, like we talked about. Yeah, I don't know. I still maintain Space Alert doesn't belong in this category, but I can see what you're talking about. So, I've decided, Mark, that these newer games, like Destiny and one that they're bringing out later, what they've decided to do, this is just another form of of copyright protection, right? Because now everyone has been <laughs> pirating video games. They say, well, now they have to buy this whole board game in order to play it, so it's just another another layer of, <laughs> of uh, piracy protection, I think. Because they are almost complete video games with just very minor, you know, board game cardboard components. Well, that that, that honestly was, was my ultimate conclusion with respect to Descent 3rd Edition. I felt like I probably would have enjoyed Descent 3rd Edition more if it just went the one further step and had me move my... It only needed two further steps, actually. Moving my character miniatures on the board and just tracking the cards that I had. Which is honestly would be a trivial addition to what was already going on in the the app management. Uh, I'll believe your conspiracy theory when and if EA starts getting into board games. Well, it all comes down to this this Destiny game where you have to, like, scan every card you have, and that's just to, like, to make sure that you own the game. Otherwise, you could could play the whole game on the (laughs) app, right? If you you didn't need to scan, because it could just give you the option, here's the cards, and it could easily keep track of the cards you have without having to scan them all the time. But this is just to make sure that you've bought the game. Sure. Honestly, I I think, going back to the game we reviewed most recently of these, Vienna Connection, I think it did a very good job of managing the apps. The apps were just there to, number one, help you if you encountered a problem. Although, as we mentioned, it didn't help you all the time. And number two, to just track puzzles and just give you a a pass-fail on the puzzles. Most of the stuff was in-game. Although it did, however, raise uh, one of the issues that I have a lot with app-dependent games like this, which is not exclusive to them, 
which is the all-that-reading problem. What do you do in a board game where there are mountains and mountains of text, and it is nominally a shared experience? I'm not a huge fan of any of the available solutions. If one person does all the reading, uh, it doesn't really work for me. It takes a long time, uh, and it's rather burdensome for that one individual, and it can really feel awkward having so many people just sitting and listening for much of the time. Everyone just standing around a component reading it silently will take less time, but then you don't feel like you're engaged in the same activity to the same extent. I don't know. It's it's a tricky problem, and there are lots of games that have this problem that I really, really enjoy, just to take a minor sidebar for, for purely analog games, like Legacy of Dragonhold. Legacy of Dragonhold, I've only played solo. I adore Legacy of Dragonhold. I think I would enjoy it a lot less with other players because you would have that all that text problem. Uh, other games, like Vienna Connection, it was okay-ish because all of the material was immediately fodder for a sort of collaborative dis- discussion, right? Because everything in Vienna Connection was part of solving a puzzle. So you'd immediately be picking up on clues and talking back and forth. What does this mean? I have this interpretation. I have a competing interpretation. The same is true of The King's Dilemma, for what it's worth. In The King's Dilemma, everyone needed to pay attention to everything because everything was so pregnant with meaning and of import of the kind of decisions you wanted to make. Anyway, this is a problem that app games often have. Something shows up on the screen. Does one person read it? Do you put it in the middle of the table and everyone cranes their necks over and starts reading it sideways? I've never found a good solution to this, and it's one of the things that I find holding me back. I find one thing that this this new full app integration will do is make make these legacy games a little more green. Because do they not do that in the Descent 3rd edition, where it's got a lot of stuff going on in the background that in... A traditional legacy, you'd be ripping up cards or writing on stuff. But in this case, the app is storing all that information for you. And therefore, you can just give the game to someone else and they could play it right from scratch the way they wanted to. That's absolutely true. And in terms of bookkeeping, again, in terms of the ambition and in terms of some of the things that that Descent 3rd Edition does, there's a lot of bookkeeping that it just takes care of under the hood. And it allows for some things that I I wish it leaned into a bit more. Again, this is not sort of a meta review of, of Descent 3rd Edition. But one of the things that Descent 3rd Edition tries to do with its app is it allows for things that have been more and more common in board game, in uh, video games, which is proc rates. You know, every time this thing hits, it has a 20% chance of doing something. You can't really do that in board games. It becomes too cumbersome, both procedurally and in terms of remembering all the effects. I'm comparing specifically to some roguelike video games like Risk of Rain. Every time you attack in Risk of Rain near the later levels, there are, there's literally dozens of different effects that might or might not happen and have a small statistical chance of occurring. Cannot do that in board games. I wish, I, I probably would have appreciated Descent 3rd Edition if it leaned into that more. There's only a small number of available things to proc. You know, this, uh, you might have a 10% chance of this, a 15% chance of that, and a 50% chance of some other thing. And that's about it. I mean, come on. You're, you're making me put all of my attacks through you. You're doing all this bookkeeping. Go wild. Throw me into the deep end. Have a whole bunch of different possible things to bling out. We've been playing Aliens Fireteam Elite. And in Aliens Fireteam Elite, you can attach three different things to your guns, each of which give a small percentage modifier to something. Go nuts. Go like, go do that instead of just Penny Annie stuff. The other thing, not only is that, uh, sorry, not only is Green Legacy good, it's also a great way to do a tutorial for the game because if it's a really heavily app dependent, it can sort of baby step you through the first part. And I really, I really thought that Vienna Connection was going to do that and it did not. Mm. It just sort of said, you know, here is the website you go to when you need to input in, 
input the information. I really thought that was sort of a lost opportunity. They really could have pulled you into the story by sort of introducing you to the story and saying, okay, now what do you want to do? And this is how you do that. And just sort of like bring you through the very first steps to, you know, pull you into that, that world. I thought they, it would, it's, and I think all these other games can do that better because of they've got this full app integration. I hear you, but I like rule books and I don't like tutorials. So <laughs> I was not disappointed by that. And it could be fiddly, right? Now, everyone, if something like a search for Planet X, if something you just pull off the shelf, now suddenly everyone has to download the app. Everyone has to boot it up. Now everyone mm. has to input the code and, you know, they might make a mistake. Someone's battery could die. Well, let's talk about that because... I often find, I think this is a bit of a, of, of a straw man argument. People say, oh, well, you know, in 30 years, this, this board game won't be playable. I'm a, I confess I'm not totally blind to that concern. There are lots of games from the 70s and 80s that I still play now and then. And I'm not entirely sure that I'd be able to play some of these games 40 years from now. Of course, in 40 years from now, I'll probably be dead. But setting all that aside, things suddenly got real and so very wrong about games. But putting all that aside... To my mind, my bigger concern is just how badly optimized so many of these programs are. You know, I don't have a state-of-the-art computer, but it can definitely run things. And we're not talking about high-asset-driven experiences. It's not like they're running the Unreal Engine with full shadows and fire effects and water going everywhere. But when I'm running some of these required apps for these board games, and my fan kicks into high gear, and my battery starts draining like crazy, and my computer suddenly gets to the heat of the sun, I'm, I question how much programming chops went into these kinds of things. And look, uh... There are serious problems with things like battery consumption for a lot of these apps. There are serious questions about what happens when there's a bug. If there's a bug, it could destroy an entire campaign. Some people in Descent 3rd Edition, I saw error messages on on the, the, the fora. I didn't have any of these, but people were having their entire campaign progress seized up because an update got pushed that wasn't properly calibrated. I'm, I'm a little concerned about things like that. Yeah, and plus, and the fact that almost at least 100% so far, none of these apps cost money. Yes. So this is... This is a cost brought on to the distributor on top of, you know, them putting the game out as well. Now they have to have this, you know, full app at yeah. no cost, right? So, like you said, it's going to be badly optimized, battery draining, susceptible yeah. to errors. On the one hand, it's unfair to talk about bugs because really board games have had bugs since time immemorial. They're called errata. But... If you're playing a board game and there's a problem with the rules, you can fudge an alternative. I'm not defending this. I'm not saying it's a great feature, but you can fudge an alternative and keep going. If the app doesn't work, that's it. You're done. But the opposite is also true. If there's a mistake with a card or they they want to rebalance a card or a part of the game doesn't work right, boom, it's hidden. It's done in behind the scenes. You don't even know about it and your game is fixed. Point taken. That is absolutely point taken. And I thought I was hopeful that they were going to do a good job of managing the meta for things like X-Wing 2nd Edition. Because managing miniatures games meta are very, very, very difficult. And if you're going to make everything app-driven, that allows you to do subtle bits of tinkering behind the scenes that, that, that you can do more frequently and more assiduously. 
word is from people I trust that they haven't done such a hot job of doing that in the context of X-Wing 2nd Edition, but at least that's a promising feature of the system. So this being said, XCOM, which is, I'm not going to say it's the first one, but it is, was one of the first ones. It's already seven years old. It's still in the App Store. It was updated in 2018, you mm, know, good. and I, you know, went over some comments, no problems, you know, I, I think it's, you know, this problem of when it first came out, because that was the number one thing, well, you know, in five years, yeah. you know, that app's not going to be there and I won't be able to play it. And like, okay, well, who's playing XCOM now? No one. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, I'm not particularly susceptible to that kind of concern, but I'm 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 concerned about related issues. So next quick little tidbit of hidden information. These are great apps are fast, so fantastic for hidden information. I remember when it was so many years ago and I'm still waiting for it. No one's done it yet, like a, a full on risk sort of like military game where yes. everyone has an app and your purchases are secret and your resources and your sort of planning out your turn and just, you know, just some hidden information on an app that sort of, sort of assists the game. I'm waiting for this game. Make it like, strate- like Stratego on steroids. Exactly. You know, really leveraging fog of war. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, not everyone is just tech inclined. You know, a lot of, not a lot of people, you know, are good with phones or apps or, or technology. And, you know, sometimes it might be a problem with, for some people. It's true. It does allow for expansions green expansions no paper expansions added right onto the app that sometimes can you know already use components you already have but here's just more content we're giving you with stuff you already own yeah they did that with descent second edition and with imperial assault as far as i remember it's a great way to advertise for expansions like say if you know, the board <laughs> game has a, has a new expansion oh i'm just saying like you load up the app and it says you know oh did you know it has an expansion and you know so it, you know brings to light that something's it's not as good as actually putting your your entire library in the game so your names of your games are constantly being said over and over while people are playing <laughs> the game it's not that good but it's still pretty good yeah, I don't necessarily laud the fact that this can on-ramp more advertising for the publisher, but you're right. It is a way to on-ramp more advertising for the publisher. I mean, fundamentally for me, there are some app-driven games like this that I have enjoyed. Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition is probably the biggest example of an aggressively app-managed game that I thought was worth playing. Part of it is because of the thematic constraints. You know, there's, there's slightly more of a narrative in Mansions of Madness than there would be in your average, say, dungeon crawler. And maybe that's unfair. Maybe that's a problem of expectations. Maybe that's just on me. It also couldn't help that I think that Nikki Valens and their team really did an excellent job with the writing. And generally speaking, anytime Nikki Valens is attached to a writing project, I find their work exceptional. So that, that I think, definitely helped. But ultimately for me, when I am playing a board game, one thing that I don't really relish in most of the time, unless it's heavily narrative-driven, is opacity. I want complete transparency. I want to know how things work. That's part of the joy for me, actually, of playing a board game. Of knowing all the systems and all of them being transparent to me and being able to engage with them fully. Nothing being hidden. Now, there might be hidden information about where a specific unit is, but... I don't want the results of a specific action to be completely unknown. Like, am I rolling two dice or five dice? What do the dice mean? What are the possible range of options? And with certain very rare exceptions, I don't want that to ha- that kind of information to be hidden to me. Again, in the context of Mansions of Madness, I'll give it a little bit of a pass. Again, not, not the kind of thing I want to play every day. Still has the too much text problem. Still has the division of, of, of attention problem. But 
I'm willing to accept a little bit more about the unknown in a heavily scenario-driven game about the unknown. Whereas in a video game, I'm okay being surprised. I'm alright with things coming up out of nowhere and my not understanding fully how things work. I want to have some degree of understanding, but I don't necessarily need full understanding. Is this purely a problem of expectation? I don't know. But that's definitely where I sit in terms of the kind of experiences I want. Yeah, and there's plenty coming down the pipe, right? There's a bunch of games coming out soon that will... It's not going away is what I'm getting at. Definitely not. My Father's Work that's coming out soon is very heavy. Divinus, another Lucky Duck game that's coming out. But I think... I don't think it's something you have to worry about. Like Kickstarter, like when Kickstarters first happened, everyone was worried about, you know, all games being Kickstarter or, you know, Kickstarter is this terrible thing. But uh, there's yet to be an app-driven game or still a Kickstarter game that has hit, you know, very big. So I don't think it's anything we have to worry about. Yeah, I'm, I'm not especially concerned. I'm in, in point of fact, you raise a good point. If you consider the fact that XCOM was released seven years ago, and the fact that uh, Descent 3rd Edition only now is trying to push the envelope a little bit, it's actually been pretty stagnant in a lot of ways, which is surprising. That's all I've got. I was going to say, now, if we didn't list, if we didn't talk about one of your favorite app-driven games, just remember that we only cover games that are good. I sense that I'm being insulted. What am I missing? No, not all. It's just like, usually I was hoping that people would lead up to think that, you know, please comment. You know, if we didn't, you know, they usually say content creators, you know, you know, if we didn't talk about your favorite, you know, app-driven <laughs> game, then just leave us a comment and we'll, you know, get, it's like, no, it's like, no, yeah, if we no, didn't, if right. we didn't talk about it, then, you know, it's, it's your game's crap. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you very much for joining us for So Very Wrong About Games. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach Walker via his email, justrolledadice at gmail.com. That's J-O-S-T-R-O-L-L-D-A-D-I-C-E at gmail.com. For any all complaints, you can reach Walker at justrolledadice at gmail.com. For criticisms, you can reach Walker at justrolledadice at gmail.com. You can reach me, Mark Bigney, on Twitter at the games you like. For more public discussion, you can find the So Very Wrong About Games Facebook page, or you can check out our Board Game Geek Guild, which is guild number 3236, and you can find us on Patreon and Twitch. We read everything you send us, and we'll get back to you if we can. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon. Peace! You've been listening to So Very Wrong About Games, produced by Michael Walker and edited by Mark Bigney. Special thanks goes to What Does It Eat for generously allowing us to use their most excellent song, FOS, as our theme. You can find them at whatdoesiteat.com. You can reach us by email at soverywrongaboutgames at gmail.com or on Twitter at sowronggames. Thanks very much. See you next time. And always, try to be right, but remember you are so very wrong. Hello, listeners, and thank you once again for joining us for Swipe Presents Masterpiece Theater in honor of Prospero Hall. Today, we're talking about He's All That. He's All That is a remake of She's All That, which in turn was a remake of no, the Alien. No, no, and no, features no, no, no. A... We're, not, we're not talking about that. Oh. Forget well, it. What are we talking about? We're, we're going to talk about F9. Does it feature a surprisingly charming turn by Matthew Lillard? No. Does it feature a return of Rachel Lee Cook, who was in the original She's All That, as well as in the most underappreciated movie of all time, Josie and the Pussycats? Um. Does it at least send a Pontiac Fiero into space? Maybe. I could be. I was going to say, I, 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 I can't really tell you because I didn't watch it. I watched Toddlers Playing instead. <laughs> you, you'd be surprised, though, Mark. These guys have 
vivid imaginations. Like one kid was playing a car, doing these jumps. Another kid grabbed a jet and flew in and picked up the car in mid-jump yeah. and flew away with it. And uh-huh. some other kids over here were playing rocket ships and playing in space. And the kid with the car won too. So he, like he pretended his car went up into space. And like these kids have crazy imaginations. So so you go ahead. You tell what happened in F nine. You tell me because I didn't watch it. They had Cardi B in it. Cardi B. What a cameo that was. John Cena, I feel, is an excellent addition to the series. If for no other reason, then clearly he is loyal to Mustangs in the same way that Vin Diesel's character is loyal to Dodges. It's true. That see, that was a decent cameo. I I'm trying to I'm trying to understand Cardi B's cameo, and can't other than the fact <laughs> they wanted to put Cardi B in the movie. I I sure. don't get okay. Do you know what I'm disappointed? They managed to make Han boring. They brought him back from the dead, which I I I, I you know I'm I'm pro and con. One of the things that I really don't like about the Marvel movies is the same thing about comics. There are no stakes. No one ever really goes anywhere. And I'm not going to say that the Fast and Furious franchise was ever, like, leaden with consequence. But at least they were willing to kill people. And they stayed dead, right? Things happened. There was development. I'm not morbidly obsessed. I just want there to be consequences for there to be weight and consequences. So they bring Han back, and half of me is like, yay, Han's back. I love Han. But then he was so boring. And so I was like, nah, leave him dead. Yeah. Didn't really... Yeah, what did... what? He didn't add anything. I think he was, was there, the and they gave him home. bad hair. Yeah. Will they have a brother, Mark? I don't. I don't know. Like, who's <laughs> who's, the, who's the next relative that's going to be shoehorned in? I don't oh know. Oh my god. There's always more family. It's very important. Oh, I meant to write down the line. The father had yet another family is family, so family line. Thank you very much, listeners, for joining us for Spike Presents Masterpiece Theater in honor of His Grace. The Reverend Dr. Dr. Vincent, Duke of Diesel, OBE Esquire. Join us again in the future because Mass Beast Theater will continue. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.